Hey, Tyler. Hey, Jay. It's good to see you, my friend. It's good to see you, too. I'm going to continue my, my trend of eating oh. while we record this one. Okay. So in our traditional plan ahead way, you texted me about five minutes before we began and said, think up a question. Yep. And so I went online and I searched for podcast opening questions. <laughs> and I have five uh, oh, for nice. you. Uh, and it was spurred on by our good friend, uh, uh, Reverend Carl, uh, talking about the, the role of pastor and, and what we do and all that. So I, I found five questions about your career I only, after deciding these were five great questions, realized that the source was Women's Health Magazine. So that's okay. That's fine. That's, okay. that's fine. I'm okay with it if you're okay with it. I, I'm always okay with Women's Health Magazine. <laughs> so, so as a woman, what is your favorite thing about your current job? What's your favorite thing about being a pastor? Oh, my favorite thing about being a pastor. I like that question. Uh, there's a lot of things. Um, which is interesting because we're real good at uh, pastors are really good at identifying what's not great about being a pastor. Yep. And especially when pastors get together, we we commiserate a lot. We we can not we to can say belly we can ache. complain, but it's hard. Uh, there's not very many outlets for that, and so it tends to devolve, uh, which always makes me feel bad. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing about being a pastor is uh, the community. I, I think it is truly great to be in a job that is relational and that that is investing in people um and especially having been in uh, a few different churches being connected to people and having had the privilege to be part of their story so when you can make those kind of deeper connections with people and especially when you have a shared experience whether it's a mission trip or some profound thing that happened in their life or some significant thing within the life of the church um, those things don't go away, and so, and being invited into uh, sacred moments of people's lives, like their when people are dying, when people are getting married, when people are getting baptized. So, um, I think really the privilege of being part of that and of building community. I know this sounds like a like a an interview question, <laughs> like the, like the response, like please hire me as your pastor. <laughs> But I legitimately love that. I, I think yeah. it's fun. I like spending time with people. I like conversations. I like a job where a big part of what I'm expected to do is talk with people because I love doing that. And I, I, I'm not good at having visits that are real short. Like I, I was with a, a head of staff in one of my calls who did hospital visits in like two minutes and he was like really excited about it. Um, and even at the time, I was, and he was like excited to teach me about it. And I was going, and I was like, "Wait, that's not right." This no. is this is almost worse than not going. Yeah, is that we went and like we were all. He was always delighted when the person we were going to see was asleep. And I think he timed it to go at like one thirty, where like a lot of times old people fall asleep after they eat lunch. And he would go in and have his card, and he would leave his card on the table, just to say like, "Count it," like I'm, I've been here. No, um, no, no. And uh, whenever I, it's always hard going into those places, but I'm always there like an hour and a half or something like that. Just, I mean, as, as long as, the, as it feels like the people want me there, but uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. And doing something that I think matters. I think uh, it's fun to explore God and what that means and to, to go on that journey with other people. Yeah. For me, I've got to go with, and I, I don't know a single pastor that hasn't had this happen or resonates with it, but when you preach a sermon on, let's say, mercy or forgiveness, mm -hmm. and at the handshake line at the door, 
someone says, that was a phenomenal sermon about generosity. (laughs) And you go, that's not even close to what I preached about. Like, that was not what I was talking about. I love that moment because it's evidence to me that I'm not actually in charge of what people are receiving out of the sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that we do in fact have a Holy Spirit that does the speaking and the the communicating on my behalf. So for as like when they're sincere that they heard something, yes. not like they weren't paying attention. They're like, oh, that was a great thing about sin, I guess. No, right? They actually like yeah. have like, oh, when you said this, it made me think of that, which made me think yeah. of this, which brought me to like it, like they can follow the the root of it. Um, I love those moments because again, it it just kind of shows me that I'm not even remotely in charge of what's going on. Uh, that's good. It happens it happens a lot, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. What's the career this is an interesting question for a pastor too. What's the career highlight you're most proud of? Career highlight I'm most proud of. Um because for us well, it's not I mean, like, you know, we had a really good sales quarter in, in two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's none of that stuff. It's um experiences with youth. I think watching young people. I, I mean, the thing that, and it's not even career stuff, just like having these young people um, invite me into their lives and watch them grow into really interesting people. I think that you, you share kind of a, uh, a parent, like a parent, not a parent, apparently a parent-like uh, relationship with them, but it's different. Like you're halfway between a friend and a parent. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of have this ownership over, like you have this prideful ownership when they succeed at something, but uh, just watching them all become such interesting people, and uh, and especially as they get old enough that they kind of become your your peers, mm-hmm. um, that's always really rewarding. So just the, watching those relationships develop into something, and seeing them do like also really important stuff, I think that's really cool too. Yeah, I I would say the same. You know, watching young people go from high school to college to jobs and professional careers to being parents now like that's weird to me um but also really really super satisfying and also there's a room at westminster uh, my former home that is called the poop room for reasons we don't have time to get into right now uh the poop room yeah we call it the poop room uh and ed is very currently working on uh renaming it the jason fryer memorial poop room and (laughs) If that goes down, that will be the career highlight I'm most proud of. That to have, you know, that prestigious venue named after me would be would be great. You leave a legacy. That's right. That's right. It's all yeah. about legacy. Do you think you will stay in your current call for a while? Yes. Yeah? Now, yeah. that's interesting because you and I have talked before about you're a bounce around kind of guy. What what leads you to say you're, you're sticking around? Well, um, I've never been a bounce around kind of guy by choice necessarily. It's just been the rhythm of my life. Um, and I've always longed for that um, established place, especially with kids, uh, having gone to, I think, five different school districts between kindergarten and 12th grade. Uh, I always wanted my kids to go to kindergarten and graduate in the same district. Mm. And um, I think it's it's especially, again, in, in the business of relationships, being able to invest in a place long enough to... Um, don't to not just be a season of someone's life but to be through several seasons of their lives and i i love the place i'm serving like that's i that's always been my intention i've never gone to a church thinking oh, i'm only gonna be here for a few years and i've never seen it as a stepping stone to something else i think i really like this church i really like this area i would love to be here until they don't want me anymore yeah <laughs> which hopefully is a long long time for now yeah yeah 
I, I, I've used the analogy of when you first get a new car. Because, uh, again, I'm only, we were talking earlier, I'm only three months into this thing. Like, you know that at some point it's going to get too many miles on it and you'll need to trade mm-hmm. in and go on and do something else. But, like, at this point, that is not even close to what you're thinking about. You're still trying to figure out how the heater works and things like that. Like, I'm probably here for a good while. Mm-hmm. Probably here for a good while. How would your 10-year-old self react to what you do now? I don't think my 10-year-old self would be all that surprised, and it's only because I'm a pastor's kid. So, like, I think that was not my goal when I was 10. It was kind of... I was into it when I was, like, maybe 7 or 8. So I think even by the time I was 10, I was like, yeah, that probably probably makes sense. Um, When I was 15, definitely not. Uh, and and even even when I was ten and stuff like I wanted to be like an archaeologist I wanted to be Indiana Jones yeah I wanted to do or be a baseball player uh, but yeah I don't I don't think I'd be incredibly surprised by it and then after that like from fifth grade on I wanted to be a teacher I didn't have uh, completely uh, divergent paths in mind uh, and I was a teacher and I'm still kind of a teacher so that's uh, I, I, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a big shock for me yeah. I don't know what 10-year-old Jay was thinking about doing. I don't think being a pastor would surprise me at 10, but I don't think it was the trajectory I was working towards by any stretch of the imagination. Not that you're really ever working on a trajectory at 10. Yeah, there's old. there's a lot less uh, boat driving yeah. in your current position than you would have. That's I, I was really for. into that marine biology thing and just didn't, didn't happen. All right, so this, let's imagine this is pre-COVID, pre-home lockdown times. I think this is an interesting question too for Pastor. What's your favorite part of your work day? Yeah, each I mean each day is really different, so that's kind of hard. I really like the very beginning of the day, kind of before anybody gets there. Uh, I kind of I like the fringes of the day, so I really like that. The other thing I really like is um, after the late Christmas Eve service. Yes. Um, when everybody's kind of like my family's already like home and asleep. And because uh, we have an early one, and then in between we take the take them home, kids go to bed and stuff like that. Um, so I don't get home from our late Christmas Eve service until like eleven. Uh, so usually, usually Adrian's asleep, and um, I'll come home and and like wrap some stuff and uh, like watch like for uh, your new mixtape or yeah yeah <laughs> drop a couple bars. <laughs> <laughs> That's some fresh. It's like sixteen bars or something fresh that's just roll around in my head. Uh, no, and, and usually watch it. It's a Wonderful Life because Adrian doesn't like that movie. Uh, but uh, that time, like, there's less of a rush to leave right away, and you kind of the the room, the building's still kind of alive mm-hmm. with that feeling of, of the Christmas Eve service, but it's empty, and so uh, and especially if it's like snowing or something like that, like just the it's one of the services that we have that the people generally everybody's really excited about being there. Uh, which is what you want for every Sunday, but it's really there on Christmas. Yeah. And uh, so to be there on Christmas Eve, again, kind of at the end of it, and everyone's so happy when they're leaving and you get to kind of say Merry Christmas to everybody. And then having those kind of stolen moments of, which is really just like 15 minutes. Like I don't linger too much in the in the building because again, I've got Die Hard and, and It's a Wonderful Life to watch when I get home. Um, but just, just that... Knowing that, like, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Yeah. And I can feel it, really, right now. And boy, isn't that beautiful. I, I am so curious this year, uh, assuming anything actually happens this year. Uh, but at Westminster, we had five, seven, nine, and 11 services on Christmas Eve. Wow. 
and that was too much. Uh, yep. I wasn't getting home till you know, by the time you clear everybody out and clean up and all that, like, I wasn't getting home till like, 1 in the morning on Christmas Day. Yeah. Laboratory has seven. That's it. Wow. One service. And, like, I'll be home at before 9. Like, that's weird. I got to figure out how what I'm going to do with my time. I like, uh, and especially, I think this is different for me, again, coming from Westminster, which is a big hustly-bustly church to here where it's me and our uh, secretary bookkeeper uh, and she doesn't come in until usually about 10 or so. Uh, so that first, I come in about nine and that first hour of the day is just me. And I mm-hmm. love that hour. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's no more productive time in the day than that first hour of just being completely alone and shut. I think that's office. where introvert Jay and introvert Tyler really shine. Yep. Is in those moments when, there's less interruptions and I feel good because it's like both really productive but also if it isn't it's not you still have the whole day in front of you so you don't right. feel bad about what you haven't gotten done yet I usually just spend that hour trying to ask the question what do I actually need to do today um, yeah and that's that's kind of good framing for for what follows those are five questions about what it looks like to be a pastor brought to you by Women's Health Magazine Women's Health Magazine yeah well I've been I'm Tyler I'm Jay And this is Roughing the the Pastor. Anything big going on in the world? Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. It's uh, been a minute. It's been a while. Um, oh man, uh, <laughs> it has been. It has been uh, several several minutes since we have last uh, met in person, yeah. as evidenced by the fact that there was no real Halloween episode this year. No. Uh, and we have yet to talk about uh, anything that's happened in November, and that's not because we were trying to be. Uh, uh, I don't know. We, we we're showing restraint. It's because we haven't recorded in quite a while. Yeah. And so uh, I think we. I said this last time, but we should be back in the rhythm of every week. So that that that's at least you got that goal for it. It got a little um, nutty there. I mean, between COVID and the, the, what we'll did. talk about today, and then uh, for list, some listeners may know, some might not. My wife had surgery a little while back, mm-hmm. and that essentially just takes your entire family's calendar, throws it into a blender, and says, "Good luck with that." Uh, yeah. Yeah. That life doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, you're done. Like, you're done. Yeah, that schedule's not there. <laughs> whatever complete, uh, uh, what predictability, whatever predictability you used to have, gone. Just gone. Mm. So anyway, there was this thing that happened, uh, and and depending on who you ask may still be happening, uh, known as an election. Uh, <sighs> <laughs> and, and boy... In the lead up to this uh, podcast, there are 8,000 different directions we could go with what to talk so, about. Also, here's the sad thing. When it when it seemed like it was clear that we weren't going to be able to record until about now, there was part of me that was thinking like, oh, people are going to be tired of the election by then, and it won't be relevant anymore. Not that it wouldn't be irrelevant, but 
it wouldn't be fresh. Right. And sadly, it's still very it's fresh. It's still going on. Uh, I don't know if it's fresh. I think it's like that fish that you just kind of left out on the counter for a little too long. Yeah. Yeah. But the fish is still moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot of things. What direction? Let's let's name the different. Let's name four different directions we could go in. Well, and uh, and then let's pick a couple of them. I think okay. Some some things right off the top of my head are you you got it. <laughs> you had a real long Facebook discussion with somebody about the difference yeah. between democracy and, and republic and a and, republic. And, and how the the electoral college is terrible? Yeah, it's it's not great. I, I think there's a discussion about patience. Like uh, for weeks leading up to the election, everybody was like, "You're not going to know what's going to happen on election night." And then election night came, and every news network everywhere was like, "Why don't we know what's happening?" That's a direction to go. I think civility is a thing to be talked about in this moment, and then ultimately, like truth is something else to to take a look at in everything. Okay, so patience, civility, truth, and let's say trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so patience, civility, truth, and trust. I'm going to write that down. That's good, that's Uh, good. Because because trust in in our leaders and uh, versus maybe trust in God. That one might get a little religious, that one. That might. That could. That would be surprising from us. So you lead us off with – you can pick – which which of those directions? This, this is a choose your own adventure podcast. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to skip to any of those, maybe we'll timestamp when those yeah. different parts. Uh, if I'm creative enough, I'll put that in there. If you just so don't want to listen to us talk, you can skip ahead to your favorite. If you don't want to listen to us talk, I don't. You're listening to the wrong podcast. That's, you say, that's a literally two all white is. guys give some fresh takes about things that happened a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think patience was the first one. Again, I yeah. thought it was interesting on election night. Uh, so again, just to set the table a little bit, there's a global pandemic going on. Maybe you've heard of this. I do want to say, wait, as we're getting into this, one of my favorite childish Gambino lines is, "I've got no patience because I'm not a doctor." That's like, and then right after that is, "Girl, why is you lying? Girl, why you Mufasa?" Why? That sounds Brilliant. like an Owl City line. Remember Owl City? Yeah, I remember Owl City. Yeah. I like that you've cracked the code that Owl City and Donald Glover are basically the same person. They're <laughs> roughly the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, but so there's a global pandemic going on. We anticipated for, not like a little bit anticipated, but for months anticipated a high turnout of mail-in voting. Mm-hmm. Um so much anticipated, in fact, that like some people were throwing challenges down to that system before it even got started. Um, but what that was going to mean was <laughs> it wasn't going to – we weren't going to have clear results the night of. We weren't going to go to bed on November 3rd knowing who had won either way, whether it was President Trump or now President-elect Biden. Uh, Which, by the way uh, – oh. Hi, this is historian Tyler coming in uh, after a long ways away. Yeah. Uh, this is just a quick one. The election between Bush and Gore was not finally decided until, I think, January 3rd. Yeah, right. Um, when the Supreme Court ruled on it. So imagine that, friends. Hold if that. If we could go all the way until then be, without actually knowing who the president's going to be. Now, officially, the election is never actually settled until the electors are the ones who vote. Right. Hence, because of the stupid electoral college. Um which uh, uh, so they don't actually vote until I think January fifth, 
or their the their vote is not uh, off, not uh, certified by the Congress until right. January fifth. So technically, no one wins until January fifth every single year. I learned about the Electoral College. I was actually taking advanced placement American government uh, the year of Bush v. Gore. And our, our teacher was one of the football coaches who drank way too much Diet Coke and ate Tic Tacs constantly. I remember you talking about this guy before. Yeah. I can't. He's an exciting character. I have lodged in my brain when the one day he walked into class and pulled down the map of each state and said, this election is a godsend. Because uh, no one, even back then, but I still think now, no one really understood what the Electoral College is all about. We don't have nope. a straight up and down vote for president. It's. Yeah. Our founding fathers thought we were all idiots. Well, let's let's and we let's, might be proving them right this time around. Yeah, oh, we certainly have proven them right on several occasions. Yeah, let's. Uh, so here we go. Uh, historian Tyler here again. Welcome uh, back. This is civics teacher Tyler. <laughs> uh, let's take a, a brief moment to explain the Electoral College Please. for anyone who doesn't really understand. Here's the history of the Electoral College. It was created by Governor Morris, which is a wonderful name. Name your kids Governor, mm. uh, not Governor. Governor. He also. Uh, some people think he wrote most of the text of the Constitution, um, but he was one of the uh, the founders, and he came up with this system, which was a compromise, and the compromise between the southern states and the northern states, because even back then, uh, we were terrible. And the southern states, uh, so the representation, it was to get these different states, and remember, state means country, so initially the United States was supposed to be like the European Union. It was supposed to be... 13 uh, independent countries, countries. Yeah. that have one kind of unifying connection, but it was supposed to be like the EU. So think of that. And that's what they were thinking basically until the Civil War mm-hmm. uh, or really until the Whiskey Rebellion. But that's getting in the weeds a little bit with history. So um, the uh, so the, the representation, there was a big debate as they were trying to unify to get equal representation of the different states. But also the larger population states wanted, obviously, more power than the smaller population states. And so they settled on uh, everyone for... That's why there's two houses of Congress. The one house is completely equal, the Senate. And that's where everything that matters happens. Uh, That one was not chosen by a popular vote until like 18... uh, It's the 17th Amendment, I think. Um, because it, it was chosen by state legislatures because the people the the founding fathers ha- did not trust people right uh and again maybe they were right not yeah. to trust those, but <laughs> we'll give, we'll give so a we pass on that we did not directly elect senators uh for almost for like 75 years in the first uh, in the um uh the seven, first 75 years of this country um and that's why the Senate kind of has more power than the House of Representatives House of Representatives it has a representative uh, based on the population at the time um, and it, it still kind of goes up and down, but it's not reflexive completely because everyone gets at least one. So like okay. Wyoming, who has about 100,000 people, gets three total votes, two senators. So your electoral votes are based on total representation in Congress. So everybody gets at least two. Right. Because So everybody gets the lowest number you can get is three. So Wyoming has one representative, Montana also, one representative because they're so small, yep. have about 100,000 people. Um and two senators, so they get three. That three, compared to uh, uh, California's 55, is actually really, really misrepresented because California has like 40 million people right. versus 100,000 people. So uh, either if they it was, if it was going to be in direct proportion to the amount of power in terms of voting style, they should have like 100-some 
uh, electoral votes, but we don't go that high. It's really just we don't go that low. So the ceiling, the it's not about the ceiling, it's about the basement. And the basement only goes down to one representative. You can't have zero representatives, which is really what Wyoming and smaller states like that should have if we're going based purely on population. Okay, right. so I'm in the math weeds now. <laughs> but that's where, so all of the representation in Congress was a big debate. And so they settled on that. Uh, to get this United States off the ground to say, we'll have two houses and it'll balance out and it'll be good. And those the disparities uh, between a place like Rhode Island and a place like Virginia, which are the, the two kind of the biggest ends of the spectrum, were not as broad as that of Montana and, and California. Right. So it was the disparity in terms of power was actually pretty balanced with the representation at that time because there's only like 4 million people, less than 4 million people total yeah. uh, in the country at that point in the 13 colonies. So the other thing that they decided was that um, the election of a president would unfairly favor the northern states, which are more highly populated. And so the question was whether or not uh, slaves counted as people, which again is where we get the three-fifths compromise, which is written into the Constitution to say that slaves are not a full human being so racism is written into the constitution yeah it's been since canceled out but it just crossed out it's still there um and uh and um the other part of it was that if, in terms of the electoral college they if those numbers are based on representation then a state like virginia has more power than a state like new york because your representation is based not on the voters in that state but the bodies in that state and even if we're only counting a slave as three-fifths of a person, they still get more representation for people who can't actually vote. And so the power of a Virginia voter at the time was way higher than the power of a New York voter right. that didn't have slaves but had similar, similar populations. So it was all of this was to get the slave states to agree to be part of the union. That's where the Electoral College came from. Yeah. And they didn't trust people. Right. Um, and again, if it was just based on a popular vote, the southern states would say, well, we don't have as many voting white men, so we're just going to vote all the northern stuff. And so we need to be able to count our slaves as people for the vote counts and for representations and stuff like that. So it was all predicated on slavery and racism, yeah. the Electoral College. And, and Throughout even, its history. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, and even if that wasn't true, I think, it, which it is, it is 100% yeah. true. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. But, but Verifiably, even, objectively true. I think one of the most interesting tells that the Electoral College is broken um, in our modern telling of it is what's fascinating about this election on so many levels is it's the same score as the last one, just flipped. Yep. Um, Trump beat Clinton 306 to 2 whatever, 224. Yep. And now Biden has beaten Trump 306 to 224. And actually, Trump's official thing was 304 because there were two unfaithful electors. Oh. Which is, it doesn't happen very often. So within the Electoral College, again, you don't vote for president. You vote to tell your elector who to vote for. Right. And it's a, every state except for two, every state except for Maine and Nebraska are all or nothing. So if you win by one vote, you take the, all, the, all the votes. And the electors, so if you have a state like Pennsylvania, there's 20 electors. There are 20, if you get 20 electoral votes, there are 20 people who go to the Electoral College right. to vote, to cast their vote for, in this case, Biden, because he won Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, an unfaithful elector would be someone who goes there and either does not cast a vote or cast a vote for the other person. They have technically the right to do that, 
but it would be insane. Yeah. And there were two people, uh, two voters in the in the uh, 2016 election who did not vote for. They didn't switch their vote to, to Clinton. They just didn't vote, didn't for, Trump. vote for Trump. And so even though he was projected to have won 306, he technically only got 304. But all that. Which he loves. Yeah. That okay. makes it, that's the kind of thing that just gets at him. Yeah. <laughs> but all that, you have an election where the in 2016, the popular vote, the total uh, accumulation of all the votes in the nation, Clinton actually won by what, 3 million something? 3 million, yeah. Just um, over 3 million. And lost by that many electoral votes. And Biden collected 5 million and change more votes than Trump. Yep. And it's now he's just under three and he's just over five. And and it's now the same electoral. So like there, that disparity mathematically just doesn't add. Like you can, I think an objective observer could look at that and say, that's a little weird that you could have yeah. that and, big and, a swing. And to, to be 6 million people, yeah. 6 million people is a lot of people. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, like it's a, it's not an insignificant number of people, right? Um, there was I was trying to look it up. Um, I think there's been five unpopular presidents in our history, um, not much more than that, and uh, two of them in the past, uh, in the past like four presidents. Yeah. So a crazy statistic is is that the uh, in the last what is it last six elections I think. The Democrats have lost the popular vote once. Yeah, but, and, the, and but yet, the Republicans have won the presidency. But, but the Republicans have won the presidency uh, in two, three of those yeah. elections. So the only time they lost a popular election since the year two thousand was in uh, two thousand four election. Yeah. yeah. So. So the, it's a broken system. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and the other part of the history to, to pull us out of that history hole that we were in is that it has been opposed by both parties. Yes, throughout like it routinely, and they almost got rid of it in the nineteen. Uh, I think it was the nineteen thirties or nineteen twenties, uh, maybe a little later than that, and it was voted down by the southern senators again. Yeah. It passed both houses of the uh, both. It passed the houses and had bipartisan support, support but then. The southern states said, well, this might hurt this. They said very clearly, we are voting against this because it will diminish the power of the southern states. Yeah. And like they just said it right there. And and knowing, again, that they have a population base, because at that point, uh, African-Americans were full people based on the Constitution and based on the representation. But because of Jim Crow laws, because of felony laws and things like that. The voter suppression was super high, especially this was like the 50s or the 60s, yeah. and it was at its peak. So there's a huge population, but a very low voting class, voting pool of people within those southern states. And again, so the the state of a white man, the the power of the vote of a white man in the South in the 1950s was exponentially bigger in the South than it was in other parts of the country. Yeah, yeah. And I think too. So this is just an aside too. We're on our first topic and we're on like the fifth of side of our first topic. Yep, yep. Uh, but, but there was a lot of disinformation going around on social media this time around. And I let, which is so out of character for social media. Oh, no kidding. Social media is just a bastion of honesty. <laughs> and I, I, I took a pass on almost all of it, but there was one day, uh, followers of mine on Facebook will see that I just snapped when I saw the third person suggest that Democrats were trying to establish a 25th Amendment. Oh, yeah, that was great. I will pause here because 
there already is a 25th amendment and a 26th amendment and a 26th and a 27th we're up to 27 now i think there is this is an aside to say i think some people need to reestablish the rules of the game uh, and understand how the, the representative government works to get to that point is to ask do you see the electoral college going anywhere anytime soon I'm not convinced. It would take a constitutional amendment. It would have to be the 28th yeah. amendment. Yeah. And I, I think just think in this divided government right now, as closely split as we are, I don't see them being able to ratify. Well, especially when it so clearly is to the advantage of, like that during one of the conversations, the long conversation that I was having online <laughs> uh, with uh, with someone who I was just trying to help him understand. It was it was less about winning. I I found that like there's you don't win on social media. No one nobody wins. wins. And uh, the best you can do is is try to hear someone and try to figure out why they're why they feel inclined to push in the way that they're pushing. Right. Um, especially since this was a topic I had a little bit of experience on, I thought, well, I'll, I'll continue to to push back a little bit on this and at one point um the comment was made by this commenter uh well you just like the electoral college because there's more democrats in this country than republicans and too much i didn't really respond to that other than my personal response is yes but not <laughs> because i love democrats but because i love the people who are there are more of, who there are more of to get represented uh right. realistically yes to all that, because I think the the button on all this conversation is what frustrated me, the political nerd, about this election season to both sides to, to a great extent was not a lot of discussion about policy. Mm-hmm. Biden did more, but not quite as much. Well, he didn't have as much chance. Like, he's having to respond to stuff. Right. So much. Like, in that... And even in the second debate, he's like, we have all the policy. Like, here it is. You can go look at it here. But, like, then kept getting pulled back into, well, who are you going to pack the courts? Are you going to pack the courts? Right. It's like, that's not right. important right now. And, and, and also, people don't want to really care about policy. Like, no. that's that's the hard thing. Well, but that's because I, I think in large part because a lot of politicians have discovered that these little idiosyncrasies in the system, it's easier to play the game than it is to convince it's people. It's strategy. Yeah, it's strategy. It's yeah. not about leadership. Like, it's not, no at no point. Did and, and I'm center left ish <laughs> politically. At no point did anyone make a swing for my vote. Yeah. Um, no one tried to pull me to their side. No one tried to convince me they were right. It was all a whole also, bunch of. Very few people were undecided at that point. No, I mean, that's no. what the, 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 the theater of a Trump candidacy eliminates any semblance of this being about leadership. Yeah. Uh, in terms of substantive policy based leadership, it's about personality. Yeah. Uh, and it's a it's so a cult of personality because you have one guy saying like I'm the only one who can fix it and you say how can you fix it and he's like I'm the only one yeah like that's <laughs> and yeah. and that's it I mean really uh, I, I've said this before but and I think it's true and this isn't even like a partisan statement Trump does not want to be president no. he's never wanted to be president but he loves running for president yeah and so that's why it's like he was sullen for the first like three months of winning in 2016 when he's like oh, i got to do stuff and then he realized like oh I can still have rallies and he just started having as soon as he started having rallies again like you watch it's like three to six months before he has his first rally and everyone bounces like uh, President Trump is holding a campaign rally for the 2020 election and it's 2016 right now Yeah, and he was delighted like that's all he wants he just wants yeah. a stage where people cheer for him Yeah, and uh, and that does not a good president make no and it we have shown over the last four years that we are a country that really does need 
a leader, uh, regardless of how that person's politics are, we need someone who is really actively trying to lead yeah. um, rather than just campaigning. Because when you campaign, you just say things and you just get people emotionally riled up and you get them excited about something. But you do that for four years without really giving them like just the promises made, promises kept. Yeah. What? What promises? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And how were they kept? Well, and I think that's interesting too. And again, bracketing that whole conversation about how the system is kind of gamed one way or another, electoral college, all that razzmatazz. Mm. I think it is fascinating in this election that Republicans made gains in the House of Representatives, in the Senate, and in state legislatures, and the president lost. Well, it's a repudiation of Trump more than it is conservatism. Right. Because the conservative... So here's... here. Okay, this is uh, political commentator, Tyler. Yeah. So this is this is more... Do you have uh, different theme music for all these people? I, I hope just... not because it means more editing. <laughs> uh, I got to find the, 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 the historian, Tyler. Okay, so political commentator, Tyler. Um, this is opinion based on interpretation of fact. Uh, so this is how I see it. I think that... Um, the Republicans have been playing a long game for a very long time. Uh, to call it a game is is unfair. I, I don't mean to be besmirching the Republicans. It's not some evil scheme, but no. it's a scheme. But it's the game of politics. That they've been, yeah, yeah, they've been playing this game of politics for the last fifty years, very deliberately. Of um, they've been losing. They they stopped going after um, the heart of the people in terms of culture. Uh, this really starts in the 80s and then the 90s. And their plan was to take control of local government. So they really pushed the down ballot uh, and, and really managed to get local and state governments. They've gotten governorships because they realized that's what draws the lines for the voting districts. And those are what get the, um, the judges. And so by getting those things that helped keep people in power in um, in the Senate. So here's an example to think about. The most powerful senator in the U.S. Senate comes from the state of Kentucky, yep. which is probably in the bottom third of population centers in America. Yep. Um, I think that they have like 10 electoral votes, something like that. Like it's really it's not it's not a tiny state. It has Lexington. Um and uh, what else is in Kentucky? Louisville. Nashville? No, Tennessee. Yeah, Louisville. Yeah. So it's got Louisville and it's got Lexington. And that's it. Yeah. And then it's got a bunch of, like, bluegrass. Uh, and There's just absolutely <laughs> nothing wrong with bluegrass. Let's be No, I was, I was thinking of the grass. Yeah. But, the, yeah, the, the actual bluegrass is fantastic, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and that's not – there's nothing wrong with Kentucky. It's a wonderful state. I come from Iowa. and I, I haven't said that in a while. Iowa yeah, is a super you, small state. That. There's not very much in Iowa, but I love Iowa. But Iowa should not be – the most powerful senator in the Senate should not come from Iowa. Um, yeah. And so that shows that the power um, that they're able to wield keeps – these people it keeps the power in that so that that long stretch and then getting federal judges and you get federal judges by controlling the senate because remember the senate is the one power of the congress that actually has power yep. even though it's not representative of the of the people in the united states um and uh and then the the white house and they pushed through and they talk about it too that their biggest accomplishment over the last 40 years is that they pushed through over 150 federal judges yep. these are lifetime appointments and they've been planning that for the last 30 years to get all of the, the perfect storm coming together. And so regardless of who got in, 
what even if Marco Rubio had won, let's say in 2016, if he had been the, the elector or Jeb Bush, like they've been leading to this time when they could get just the right amount of stuff and just push through a bunch. And by having Trump, who is a distraction, yep. they were actually able to push through probably twice as many judges as they as they would have otherwise, because no one can say, hey, wait a minute, you're just approving these judges without actually having hearings, without actually wondering, like without trying to find balance, like you're pushing through really, really conservative folks to uh, no one said that because Trump would say something and that becomes the headline. Yeah. And so while he's like setting things on fire in the other room, they're able to just kind of vote on all this stuff and get all the judges in there. So in a sense, they don't need Trump anymore, yeah. which is really interesting to me why the Republican Party is so still latched onto him. I think as soon as they can unhitch their wagon from Trump, they can just move on because they have put all of these judges to lifetime appointments and all of these judges are like in their 40s and 50s. So for the next generation, yeah. they're going to be deciding on these cases on a on federal level. So in districts throughout the country and then they they have state legislatures they have. And again, to the point of the poster, uh, the, the commenter on Facebook, there are less conservatives in this country. Than there are progressives. Well, and that that brings up the question. One of the questions in my mind, because uh, for years, the driving force of Republicans and conservatives was anti-abortion. Which mm-hmm. I'm not touching my opinions on that as a white heterosexual male in this country at all. I will say I will say this: no one is pro-abortion. No one is pro-abortion. I I will make that as a as a firm statement. Easy no one is say. pro-abortion. Easy yeah. to say. So to say anti-abortion that means everybody. Right. Right. Uh, but that even so, that's a whole big ball of wax. I'm not going to touch. We should at some point and bring in some some more knowledgeable yeah. people oh, yeah. than we we are. Uh, it's not that I want to avoid the conversation, but the the whole push, the whole strategy behind that to have fewer abortions was to pack the Supreme Court with conservative judges and overturn Roe v. Wade, which almost surely looks like it will happen sometime Maybe. soon. Maybe. Also, making abortion illegal doesn't make less abortion. Well. Incidentally, that's the, that's the biggest thing. If you're interested in any of this stuff, the Holy Post podcast has the guy that made Veggie Tales, Phil Vischer, yeah. has yeah. been making videos about this. He actually did one on abortion that was really fascinating and about how exactly that, that overturning Roe v. Wade actually won't reduce the number of abortions as much yeah. as you think it would. And more people will die from abortions because they'll go to like back alley places right. to get it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but from a purely political strategy point of view, and then we got to move on to our other questions because we're still only at one in. Uh, but my question is, if that was the whole thing you were pushing for for all these years, and now you have it, ostensibly, what becomes of the Republican Party? Like, I legitimately want to know where they go next because they have a 6-3 majority in the court that doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. The Democrats did not take the Senate, so it's not like Biden can pack the courts now as much as that was a discussion. Well, we don't know about Georgia. We don't know about Georgia. We don't know Georgia yet. I have a guess about Georgia. But But you know what I mean? Like, if that was the whole thing you've been driving for for these last 15, 20, 30 years, and now you have it, what's the next pitch? And I I legitimately ask, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, political commentator Tyler will give you a, a, a reasoned response. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. They don't actually care about abortion. Right, no. That sounds cynical, but hear me out. They So the political capital needed to make abortion illegal is you need to have, uh, and to do this, so if you have a majority in the House and or Senate, yep. preferably in the Senate, 
you have a majority on the Supreme Court, you have a president who is uh, in agreement, and you have the, the will of the people. They had that in 2002. Yep. They had a supermajority in both the House and the Senate. They had five very clear conservative judges on the Supreme Court. They had President Bush, who was vehemently pro-life mm-hmm. and had a, a, an approval rating of like 86% which is one of the highest approval ratings in, in the world. Yeah. This is before the Iraq war. So this is like, there was a sweet spot in there where they could have done it. And they didn't touch and not it. And not even a single bill was proposed right. to make abortion illegal. The reason, so it's not that, I'm not saying they're all liars, but I'm saying abortion has been used as a tool yep. to get people to vote yep. on a single issue. And, and especially in this case is that you can overlook all of the flaws of a candidate like Donald Trump, as long as he's pro-life, because yeah. then people's like, "Well, this is the the godly choice." It's like, is it? Is it though? And and so, abortion had, and it wasn't even an issue before that. Like that, that it and statistically, there are less abortions under Democratic presidents yeah. than there are of, of Republican. Now, that's a nuanced. It's true that there are less abortions in America under Democratic presidents than there are Republican presidents. There's a lot of nuance going into that, so don't take that statistic to the bank. But know that there is, right. it's a—it's not a false statement. Well, there's there's um, so much, again, I didn't want to you know, untangle yeah. abortion. There's so much about health care. There's so much about poverty yeah. Yeah. that goes into this. And it's this, about like, education, and, and that, I mean, really, that's what it is. It's the access to social services that make for less unwanted pregnancies, which right. makes less abortion, which is the whole point. Right. Um, and so the... What I think will happen is I do not think that Roe v. Wade will be overturned uh, because they'll be distracted by other things and it'll just get kind of and it's been proven to be a pretty sound law. There's no there's very little constitutional reason to get rid of it. You'd have to make some pretty big leaps and bounds. So until we get another Republican president and a real strong majority in the Senate, I don't think it's going to happen, particularly because it's a golden goose that continues to allow to, to mobilize voters yeah uh, these single issue voters so when you can get a single issue and this is again trying not to be i'm not trying to be cynical about abortion and say it doesn't matter or things like that but for the last 30 years republicans have been getting votes solely based on abortion Easy. if they got rid of that that's a, that's a golden goose you don't want to you don't want to kill and so that is a push to move forward with that and and again they have the capital they don't have the mandate anymore they don't have the they don't have the white house they don't have a super majority they do have the the courts but you can't just throw things at the court like eventually they're just not going to hear stuff anymore um which and, leads and, us to where we are now yeah because you can't just throw things at the courts <laughs> yeah and so see here, if they'll stick. And, and here's the thing to answer your question from a while ago about the electoral college i think that there are three very simple things that we could do to fix this country right away yeah. that will not happen no because it's a game it's not about doing it's not about running the country the best it's about gaining power and um so the electoral college is terrible mm-hmm. everyone has agreed it was terrible at certain points in history but they won't get rid of it now because it's the entry point of a smaller party to maintain power yep. um and so that it will take i think it will be gone in 10 years but i think it will take some shifting in the political landscape uh before it's gone um the other thing the, the second thing that could be easily fixed is making you don't need to pack courts you don't need to do anything like that you need to make the federal judges have term limits yes and have a, a single term of 20 years so that's that's a generation i mean 15 years would be better or 10 years would be the best but um 
20 years and you can even say that it is grandfathered in or it's grandfathered in for anyone who was uh who has been on the the court for now you could just say it's 20 years from right now yeah and like clarence thomas who's been on for 29 it's like until he dies but like right. everybody else everyone who's been appointed to the court in the last 20 years or everyone who's currently on the court you've got 20 years and and if you've already passed that then you can stay until you die but everybody else is is kind of locked into that um, then you get every year, if you did it every 10 years, that would actually be better. But 20, 20 kind of keeps it because every 10 years, then every president is probably putting on two judges. Yep. Um, you don't get to control the thing. It's not just a, ma- a matter of fate as to like this one where you get two judges die and one retires within the same four year window. Whereas eight years of Obama, there were just two people who, uh, who died, yeah. uh, and or retired, I think. But that sense of um, there's less of a game there and it's more representative and it allows the the um, the partisan nature of putting those judges in there is less of a problem. So it, it potentially allows them to be less partisan because they you're not putting appointing people for life. And so maybe the, the Senate would take it a little more seriously. Yeah. The third thing, which is a little more. And these are all things that are not going to happen. Yeah, right. Um, the third thing that should happen that's not going to happen is they should make Puerto Rico yes, and probably D.C. Yes. a state. Uh, Puerto Rico absolutely should be a state. They're, the only reason it's not a state is that it's convenient uh, for those in power to not have it be a state. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not fair. Uh, and if you're like, why would Puerto Rico be a state? Why is Hawaii a state? Yeah. Why is Alaska a state? Those are way – Hawaii is closer to Japan than it is to America. I, I – uh, Check this with historian Tyre. I think this is true, but it is, and this is the absurdity if you're going to be in a de- democratic system. The residents of Puerto Rico have to sign up for the draft. Yep. But have no say in who the president is. So they yeah they, they also pay taxes. They have yeah, to and they serve. Don't, they don't get to vote. Right. Yeah. They have to serve, pay taxes, do all the sacrificing part of being American, which I'm mm. happy to do. Mm-hmm. Because I get to have a say in what gets done yeah. with all that. They have no representation in Congress. They and, and even on the D.C. license plates, it says taxation without representation. Yeah. Like because they have no votes in D.C. Yeah. Um, and D.C. is a small place. It's way smaller even than Rhode Island. But in terms of metropolitan, in terms of numbers, I don't think it's smaller than Rhode Island. It's, and it's definitely bigger than Wyoming in yeah. terms of population. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. It like geographically, does it make sense for it to be a state? No, but numbers wise, it absolutely it's a it's a huge number of people. It's yeah. well over a million people who just are completely disenfranchised. Yep. And the reason why is that Puerto Rico is filled with Puerto Ricans. Yep. And DC is filled with Black people. Yep. And so there's inherent racism in all of these choices yep. uh, to keep the Electoral College to uh, to keep white uh, judges on the on the benches for the rest of their life and to not have Puerto Rico and DC be a state. So those three things that will not happen. I mean, they will happen eventually. Yeah. They're not going to happen tomorrow. But those are three things that will dramatically change, I think, the game of poli- U.S. politics and make it more fair and more accurately descriptive of we the people. Well, I think that's another piece. Of, and again, this will this will bring us back to patience so that then we can move on. And <laughs> I, I think it was, it was bad faith on a lot of Democratic people to to expect a swing for the fences knockout win in this election, which a lot yeah. of people were going into it. Um, the Democrats are going to take the Senate uh, and the presidency, and we can fix the courts, and we can make Puerto Rico and DC a state, and we can we could do all your wish list. Yeah, right now. Yeah, 
Well, and the irony is that we, it's not that the polls were wrong. It's no. just that our, our reading of the polls was wrong. Like, if you look at the polls, they're actually pretty accurate. They're pretty even close. Now. Like, you, they go back and it's like, yeah, it's, it's, he was going to win by this many states. He was going to flip flip some states. He was going to win by this many votes. Yeah. Like, that's what it was. Uh, it's just the polls said, you might, like, Texas is in play. And guess what? Texas was in play. It was close. More than it ever has been. Yeah. Now, uh, the Democrats lost Texas, but that doesn't mean that the polls were wrong. It just means like there was a point at which uh, there was all of these maybe stories that people kept being reporting on to the point that they became, of course, stories. Yeah. And so when the maybe the the kind of estimation of like here's what possibly could happen if all of if lightning strikes in all these different places, uh, when all of a sudden all of those things didn't happen, it felt like a huge loss for the Democrats. But really, none of those things were probably going to happen. They right. just possibly could have happened. And they all moved closer. Like a place like Georgia was as red as red could be. Yeah. And someone made a really interesting point of uh, someone had said, wow, who'd have thought Georgia was a blue state? And uh, then the response was, Georgia has never been a red state. It's been a suppressed state. Hmm. And the same thing with Florida, the same thing with Texas, like Florida, especially because there's so many felons in Florida that are not allowed to vote. And there were a couple hundred thousand uh, new voters who who were arrested on felony charges and have been out of prison for a really long time. Like uh, it's there's nowhere in the Constitution that says if you've been convicted of a crime, you can't vote. So that's voter suppression. And yeah. yeah. And you have paid your debts to society. You should be able to come back out of this and. And like, it's just active. And again, the, 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 the tendency of, of prisoners of felons tend to be minorities. And so it's another suppression. It's all racism. Well, (laughs) it really is. Well, and credit where credit's due. And it it has been, thankfully, Stacey Abrams, uh, did did the work. Registered 800,000 people or 80,000 people, something like that. And is continuing to do so getting ready for this runoff. But I think that's, that. If you want to talk legitimate, about- legitimate voters too, yes. people who just have been suppressed, right? So it's not like creating people. This is finding people who've never been given and helping them to realize they have the right to vote and to exercise that right. Well, that's that. If you want to talk about a democracy and a representational democracy, more voting is better. Yes, I think, always. I think it's fascinating. If you're afraid of of more voters, then you're you're a tyrant. Yeah. like that's just full stop. Regardless of your size, if you get more power by people having less of a voice. Then you're a tyrant. I, I can't believe one of the storylines, at least thus far, has not been because of the pandemic. We made it easier for folks to vote by opening up all these mail-in options, and lo and behold, we had the highest turnout in yeah. any election in forever, uh, and the most secure yeah. election. And that's like that, great. again objective objective data says that this is the most secure election. And that's the, great. Homeland Security said that. Yeah. 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 Okay. What were our other fantastic. words? What were our other words? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so, but that's, uh, so patience, I think to hi- to put a button on that is that we have all these things that I, th- again, my three wish list, I think they will happen yeah. eventually. I think it'll probably take 20, 30 years for all three of those to happen. Yep. They should happen. And so part of this is just having patience that it takes a long time to change, um, to steer a big ship. And it also to change a game where it's not in the best interest of everyone in power to change that. Right. It's definitely in the best of interest of the, of everyone in the country. Yeah. Uh, even if you are sitting cushy right now and you're going to have to give up some of your privilege, it's still going to be better for you if your neighbor is not poor. Right. Like that. It just is. Um, and civility. patience, again, we're getting close to Advent. Patience as in active patience, not yes. just like sitting around waiting for something to happen. Yep. Yep. But like it's still doing Jeremiah work. 29. Yeah. 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 Okay. Build houses. 
Uh, so civility, I think we, I mean, we touched on it a little bit. So the, just the sense of this is not an us versus them. No. And the problem with our politics right now is that it is, it is very much couched in us versus them. That is, that is the main, uh, the main theme of the, of the Trump rallies yep. is us versus them. That's the main theme of, of many in the church. We talked about that, uh, last week with the, with Christian music, when we were talking about our criticism skillet is that there's a, there's a big stream of Christianity that, that really phrases it in an us versus them and we must defend the faith and and do things like that and that problem with that is that jesus is not the one saying that jesus is very clearly saying it's we are all them like we're all we're all us you you're a lectionary preacher the sunday coming up the text is the matthew 25 the sheep and the goats i love it I love it too. I love that passage. But what made me sick is doing the prep work for it. The number of scholars and commentaries that twist themselves in knots yeah, <laughs> to pretend that that passage is somehow only about Christians serving other Christians. Yeah. And about the goats. They're like all about like, don't be a goat. Yeah. What? It's all this the sheep and the goats that the, it's the, when did you see me, uh, naked or hungry or thirsty and not feed me whenever you did this for one of the least of them you did it for me yeah. like that's it's that that passage you have to be absolutely intent on an agenda to make that oh a us 100%. versus them conversation. 100% it is clearly yes. about everybody's in this together um but yeah I, so in what I was going to say, just in terms of civility, I think that, and this is not a listen to Tyler be the greatest example of this because I wasn't a great example. But as I said earlier, with, with my Facebook post and trying to 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 have conversations like that with people who are who are especially who want to rant and like trying to come back, like there's part of me that can't also rebut their things that I see as as untrue. Yeah. Uh, but at the heart of it is to say. Um, why do you why do you feel this way? Like I want to hear you. I don't want I don't want to ring it. Right. But I do want to know why do you feel? What are you trying to do? What do you like? What? How does this help relationships? How does this help you? And and to to hear people. I think that we cannot if we're just spouting whatever we heard on uh, Twitter or whatever news feed we like. Like if we're just regurgitating facts. That's not helpful. Right. We need to actually be listening to. There are very good reasons why people are pro-life, and why people vote solely based on that. Right. And and so it's not to to villainize people who are single-issue voters, but it is worth hearing why because you'll understand them better. And and then if when you hear someone, that gives greater credence to their ability to hear you. Yeah. And we can't move forward until we start hearing each other. Well, so I think two thoughts on that, just to button that up real quick. One, there are pieces of the election cycle that I hope we will go back and look at when the election is firmly in the past and we can kind of, the temperatures cooled down a little bit. Because the one of them that for me, we need to examine as a nation is that first presidential debate. We all need to look at that and agree that that was the most egregiously horrible thing that's yeah. happened in American politics in my lifetime for sure, uh, yep. and maybe ever. Uh, that was just so terrible. It defies description. And I think, again, in the midst of an election, when you're rooting for your team, it's hard to see what about that was terrible because it looks like, you know, Trump's just landing punches and he's being the strong man and he's being bravado. But, like, I, I hope anyway, I would like to think that if we get a little bit farther away from this and the temperature can cool down a little bit, we could look back at it and say, hey, hang on. Is that really what you want? <laughs> is yeah, that yeah. is that really what's there? Um, 
but who's your enemy is your enemy really anyone who is against trump like or or is your enemy someone who would divide us right but that leads then to the second point of that in in civility um you know i've taken a call at a church that is way more in trump country than my previous call yep and i have learned more in three months being here um than ever before and it's a great thing Uh, it's a fantastic thing and I think we have done a great disservice to ourselves in the echo chambers of our media. Uh, and you can't just say liberal media anymore because there's a Fox, there's an OAN. Yeah. Uh, there's a, what's, what? Well, it, media is entertainment. Like that's, oh I, I think at the heart of it, that's, that's what we need to recognize is that all of these are entertainment. They're all, it's all based on, it's trying to get you to watch. Yeah. And we watch things that are entertaining. So even the ones that are the most fact-based are still trying to be entertaining. But that's, that's uh, it, it's just that's and it doesn't invalidate it, but it, you need to go in knowing what you're going to get. But I think that it points to the the two different conversations they're having. So like a lot of people have been asking coming out of this election, like still 70 something million people voted for Donald Trump and a whole lot of liberals yeah. are going, how, how is that possible? And my comeback to that is how much time did we spend actually speaking to conservatives mm-hmm. versus, you know, like just talking in our own echo chambers around what we disliked about trump it, it, well and that's you know the other like part we, of it too is is remembering that there's 70 million people who voted for trump there's not 70 million people who are wearing maga hats and right. going around with flags Correct. like that so it's not the, just the extreme and and there's not 75 million members of antifa like right. it's not so it's not well there are no or. members of antifa if i understand it right <laughs> exactly. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but the, they're and and we characterize people based on the worst stereotype possible because it's easier. Yep. And so when you say, how could there be 70 million Trump voters? Really what you're saying is, how could there be 70 million MAGA people? There aren't. And there aren't. Right. There are 70 million people. There are a significant portion, probably 60 million of those people, held their nose and voted for someone they do not like because they were afraid of what might happen otherwise. Yeah. Or they they were voting on, a, on an issue that they thought um, transcended all of the other things or they really didn't they were they were protesting i mean there's all kinds of reasonable rational reasons right. that those people voted and most people were not super excited about this election so somebody pointed out the the inverse and it might have been you and it might have been on this podcast so forgive us if we're repeating stuff but like as a moderate liberal the 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 i think example in reverse would be if the democrats somehow nominated howard stern to be the nominee for president, right? Mm. I'm not going to love that situation, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I don't want to vote for him. Uh, I don't want that to be the representation of who we are as a nation. But uh, what else am I going to do, right? Like, that's... Yeah. yeah. So, like, I'm sympathetic to that particular breed of voter. I'm not yeah. super sympathetic to a whole lot of others, but, like... No. And yeah. most voters are that. Are, yeah. are Most voters are, are the lesser of two evils. Right. Like, that... Most voters are holding their nose when they're voting, regardless, in, in every election. And and that's, and I mean, really, the first Obama election was was a, a real watershed moment for, I know a lot of people can't remember what it was like before that, but that's the first election in my lifetime where people were super excited to yes. vote for their person. Yes. I mean, and since maybe Reagan in 80, um, there was a lot of real positivity around the Reagan um election in in 1980 a little less so in 1984 even though he won he destroyed (laughs) money uh but it's um obama was the first time that people were really thinking like this could do something and there was a a critical mass of people voting for obama and that's not to say obama 
is the best president ever. I have all kinds of feelings on that, so I'm not not saying that. <laughs> but uh, but but I, just as a candidate, like there was something there was something positive about that, and that's what made that uh, election and that presidency, especially the first election, feel so transcendent. That's why he got not he won the Nobel Peace Prize because it he hadn't even done anything. Even he said like why why I, did, I haven't done anything yet, yeah. and it really kind of in the end he just got the Peace Prize for feeling like he was going to do something and getting the country to be ex- getting the world to be excited about this new direction. Yeah. And he, he had for all kinds of reasons, there were various levels of success of his ability to achieve that. Um, but that's, we most elections are not that most elections are this one yeah. where we are, or probably 2016 uh, where we're just kind of saying like, I don't know, or even 2000. 2000 was really like, I don't know, both these guys have problems. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, I guess I like this guy and not this guy, but well, neither, I mean, they're kind of the same. A friend of mine once said that, that most elections are, you know, a choice between Coke and Pepsi and all I want yep. is a glass of orange juice. Yeah. Like there, yes. there is something yeah. beyond these categories that's just not there. So truth, what I would say in terms of the election and in terms of uh, what we're saying is, is that obviously truth is more nuanced. I think that we are... Truth is 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 semi absolute, but it's not. Say that's like, absolutely funny because I'm going to go the exact opposite way. But go ahead. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So the the and this is how I always push it. In, in, in truth is is subjective, uh, in the way that we put it. Like the, it just it just is. Uh, we are the world is a lot more complicated than it is. When I was a history teacher, this is the way I always put it: is who are the bad guys in the Revolutionary War? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, and and. I would yeah. be happy to unpack that at some, but but for both sides, the other side was the bad guy, and they both had very legitimate reasons for it. Sure, uh, we were a country that didn't want to pay taxes for a war that was just fought to protect us. The Indian, the 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 all the taxes we didn't want to pay were to pay for the French and Indian War, which only protected us. It had nothing to do with people in London, and they also had to pay taxes on it. Yeah, and so we look like people who don't want to pay for something that we just got an advantage for. But also, we should have had representation. We're way bigger than London. We shouldn't have, or than England. We should have had power. So. Both of them were right and both of them were wrong. And that's truth. And that doesn't make any sense. What? So it, it watches it's complicated. I, watch as I completely agree with you and take the exact opposite approach. Yeah, yeah. That is all accurate. I was going to say that is all true, which is just going to get confusing. <laughs> uh, that's all true, that, that truth is often subjective and a lot more nuanced than we give it credit for, except when it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we yeah. try and play by those rules in something that is objectively true. Was yep. there widespread voter fraud in this election? No. No. And what's ridiculous about the situation we're in right now is that that's not a partisan statement. Something on the order of like no. 85% of Americans would agree with what Do I just said. Do masks prevent coronavirus? Yes. Yes. It's like, <laughs> it, objectively it, true. It is objectively true. And when we start to get, oh, uh, well, what is subjectively true, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, good. no fine about big complex issues but when you're talking about numbers and math and just yeah. plain simple math is always science right. math is always right it's not we gotta quit playing these games because it is going to get dangerous uh to keep doing stuff like he stole the election well, or I hate, yeah i hate and i hate to push it it is already dangerous oh there yeah are like two hundred fifty thousand people who have died because we are fighting against math yep yeah, I can't tell you how many people told me that the coronavirus is going to go away after November 3rd, which, first of all, ignores the rest of the globe. <laughs> yeah, uh, it does. But secondly, well, here we are on November 16th. How's that going for you? Like, it's yeah. just not true. Uh, yeah. Truth matters in a big, big way. And by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about how much truth matters. Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to call yourself a Christian 
and start peddling non-truths intentionally. <laughs> well, here's what I would go with to, to go with the complicated and frustrating nuanced answer of yes with, with who's the bad guy is Jesus's response to Pontius Pilate. So Jesus is talking to Pontius Pilate and um, he says, uh, is it true that you're the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus says, well, you said I am. Yeah. That is like, and, and that is not the answer that he wanted. <laughs> and so he goes, uh, but is it true? And Jesus says, what is truth? Yeah. That's Jesus's response to truth. And it's like, oh yeah, what is true? Like, and it gets at this idea that it's not just this black and white, right or wrong. Like, yes, there are things that are objectively true. There's data that we can't refute, but living that stuff out is a lot more nuanced. Yes. Like the abortion thing. Yes. yes, it's true that when we give greater sex education and provide greater social services to people, there are less abortions, but there's also more going on than just that. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are trends, but but the absolute truth is is hard to pin down. Yep. Trust. Trust. I I I think you know. Again, the bigger danger in what's going on now, as as President Trump continues to refuse to concede this election, is that there are things that we trust that we need to trust that are being tested to a breaking point. Yep. Uh, and I will say, thus far, they've held. You know, like through the Trump presidency. Um, yeah. The elegance of our form of government has really come out to shine. Yeah. Along with all the warts, but it's pretty robust. But you got to be careful how much more yeah. pressure you're putting everything, on that. Everything falls apart. Yeah. Everything has uh, a breaking point. And yeah, so to quote Chinoa Chebe. I, I really think there is a, I am so curious to see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. With what I mean, again, everybody everywhere has said Trump is never actually going to concede. Um, but how he stops fighting is going to be important. Um, it all depends on how quickly the Republicans unhitch their wagon. Yeah, like that's as soon as they do it, then that they don't lose any power. They actually kind of solidify some power because they can start being quote unquote rational again. Yeah, and getting that moderate to lean more Republican again by being quote unquote rational. They can just say that we can all act like it was a fever dream. It'd be like, oh man, that was crazy. But thank goodness we can. And they could spend the next two years trying to rebuild their brand and try to retake something in two years. And if not, rebuild it to try to retake something in four years and not go with Mike Pence, not go with Donald Trump, like go with a, like a, a really invest in Paul Ryan in him being a solid candidate, someone like that, who's just like yeah. a, a, a reasoned conservative and just rebuild the brand what? like they can do it they just they've already gotten everything they're going to get out of trump yeah uh and they got a lot yeah yeah so what i would say real quick about about trust is that we as we come into this cult of personality and i like obama as well like mm-hmm. that we and this i don't think obama was really pushing for us to say like obama never said i'm the only one who could save the world it's just everyone kind of acted like that yeah um whenever you have a leader regardless of whether they're your pastor or your president or anywhere in between your teacher or anything like that, or a a spouse of like a significant other, whenever they present it, that the only one who could solve this thing is them run away from that person. Yes. So do not trust people who act like they are the solution to the problem. Yes. They may be in a position that can create, they they can do things of greater substance, but that no individual outside of Jesus can (laughs) is worth putting our trust into. Right. We can put our trust into positions, but not into people. And whenever you have a leader like we currently do, who very clearly says, I'm the only one who can solve this problem, that's very problematic. Yeah. 
and especially as a Christian, we should always be skeptical of leaders. Like we, that Jesus is, is constantly, even when he's saying render under Caesar, he's like, I don't really care about that. Like that's, that's not my problem. And all of this is going to fade away. Like all these things will dissolve, but this is what will last is God. And, And yeah. And to that point, church, stop hitching your wagon. I'll say this to liberals and conservatives both. Yes. Yes. Stop hitching your wagon to political leaders. I think the most disturbing thing I saw a little while ago was people praying outside the election counting office for Trump to win. Like, yeah. whoa, stop. And that it, it, same deal with Biden. Don't don't do it. Right. Well, and and it's and, it, and it's not to say don't be political. And no, like you sure. deeply need to be political. Like sure. we need to invest not in candidates, but invest in issues and that like we should care about poor like that. The biggest one of the biggest things that Martin Luther King was doing was the the poor people like was was a march for poor people and a march for civil rights like that is godly yeah it's and it, and it, he was working with Democrats and Republicans trying to get everybody in there like he didn't care whose bill it was it was about getting helping end oppression it's exactly the sheep and the goats thing yeah. that whenever you care for the least of these you care for Christ and whenever you ignore the least of these you ignore Christ yeah. like that's that's what we need to do that's where our trust needs to be Christianity is unbreakably political. It should never get radically partisan. Yeah. Like it, it. Yeah. So. And even if it starts to look partisan, it's not, it shouldn't be partisan in terms of candidates. Like right. it may be partisan in terms of saying like poverty is bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, un, untethered wealth is bad. <laughs> like that those things are maybe partisan. War is bad. Like, well, saying, but th- when they I say are partisan, not... It's like that wholesale buy into, I am this party oh, always. Absolutely. Forever, absolutely. And I don't yeah. care what they yeah, what they have but and to I say. And, and yeah, and I, I I I think I just wanted to unpack that really quick for for yeah. those who be like, well, you're just talking about democratic stuff. No, no. we're talking about things that maybe are and, and the Democrats do a terrible job of representing those things. So, but it's just that they are the less like they're at least talking about those things. Yeah. Um, in the same way that Republicans are talking about abortion, Democrats are talking about poor people. They're not actually doing anything right. about it, but they they are uh, they're at least bringing it to the conversation, and we need to push towards action. And whenever they, if we need to create a government that gets out of the way at the very least, if even if it's not going to participate in us helping to redeem the world or helping to participate in what God is doing to redeem the world. I hope these next four years with, with Joe Biden as president, I actually think in a lot of ways, he's the perfect man for this job. Yeah. Because the job in the next four years, and he said this in his victory speech on whatever day that was Saturday, he didn't, again didn't talk about policy. He didn't talk about nope. agenda. He didn't talk about. He talked about healing the nation. Yeah, I think badly from a political standpoint in this country, the next four years need to be a deep breath and a self evaluation. Yeah. And I think as we've been saying the last couple of minutes, the next four years for the church and much longer, I hope, but at least the next four years needs to be a deep breath and a reexamination of priorities. Yeah, um, we need to find our purpose. Yeah, to say our w- purpose is not a person, and our purpose is not winning. Yeah. Yeah, and we need to look at what's been going on the last four years and kind of go, that didn't work out. <laughs> how, how do we how do we course correct? Mm-hmm. How do we adjust? Um, so I, I fervently hope that's what lies ahead the next four years. Amen. But we'll see. We'll see. All right, Twitter question for today is: Who'd you vote uh, for? No, wait, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, anything to plug for you, Mr. Fryer, as we think about a, a Twitter question? I don't think so. Uh, What's the last book you read? Uh, I r- started reading, I read a really crappy uh, devotion for Enneagram Nines that I had such hey. high hopes for, and it hey. just 
Nice. Just plunked down on What's me. What's the last movie you saw? What did I see? Uh, I haven't se- I haven't done much of anything. Again, this is bad. Uh, the last couple of weeks with Sarah being in the hospital, like I just haven't had time to do anything. Um, I'm trying to think, what was the last thing I saw? I think I've just been rewatching old stuff. Like I've been rewatching the West. What's Wing What's the last lot. thing you watched? Yeah, the West so, Wing. So I mean, plug the West Wing. Get on that. First of all, yeah, thank you uh, for showing me the sale that iTunes was having on the West Wing. Did you get it? I now. Well, I got the first four seasons, which are the only seasons that matter. Okay. Uh, five, six, and seven are okay. Uh, so you paid forty dollars for you could have paid thirty dollars to get everything. No, because I already, $40 to, I already oh. had some of seasons one, two, and like oh, okay, I had select okay. episodes, so like okay. mathematically it made sense. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The West Wing still stands up. Still, I still have up. only watched three three episodes of it. <sighs> uh, I will. Uh, I just finished a book called Remain in Love. It's by the drummer for the Talking Heads, and it was really good. Huh. Uh, it also was like not great, but it's really good if you if you're interested in talking. It's it's just a really interesting. Like he spends as much time talking about what he had for lunch that day as what happened in the band. But it's still it's really good. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's not, like I won't reread it, but it's just a fun little story. And it, and the, the talking has a really interesting band. So uh, I, I would highly recommend that. I finished Lovecraft Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do recommend that that it's a it's a very good show. Um, and I started watching this show, uh, The Long Way Round, which is Ewan McGregor and his friend yes. Charlie Borman With go on a motorcycle, motorcycle trip. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually a new, there are three different series of it. Like they, so this was in 2004. So like every five years they do another trip. It's five or six years. And so, and they do a new series on it. And each, each series is like 10 episodes or something like that. Yeah. And the newest one just came out on Apple Plus. Um, and we got a free subscription to Apple Plus because of recent purchases. And so uh, the other two were then on there as well. And I started back at the very first one, which again was in 2004, where they just decide on a whim, we're going to ride motorcycles around the world. Yeah. And it's really good. And uh, if you like stuff like um, No Boundaries with Anthony Bourdain or things like that, and Hugh McGregor's just, he's the most Hugh McGregor oh, in this thing. Like he's great. 100% everybody, what you think he is. And it, this is right after he did like, uh, the Star Wars movies, so it's like peak Obi Wan, peak yeah, Obi-Wan. peak Obi Wan. It's really, really good. I, I highly recommend it, but I, I really enjoy stuff like that. All right, Twitter question. Here's here it is. What are your hopes for the next four years? Um, oh yes. If I can name mine, I think it would be wise that we all kind of gather in. What are your hopes for the next four years? No matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, yeah. anything in between. Mine is that we get some patience, civility, truth, and trust. Hey, put that on a yeah, t-shirt. That, yeah, and that the uh, the new Star Wars movies, when they come out, are okay. Are they? I don't even know. There'll be another Star Wars movie within the next four years. Oh, I would think so. Would. Have you watched any of The Mandalorian yet? Yeah. Yes, oh, I, I have. I haven't watched any of the new season. Is it good? It's... I think it. I think like the first season... Here, This was my general impression of the first season, was that it started okay and got really good. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in season two, I think I can see the, the genesis of it's starting okay, but it's working its way to get really good. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, there's, I don't yeah. watch any of you. No, it's, I look forward to those on Friday mornings. That's my, that's my jam. Nice. All right. Well, we'll see you all next week. I hope that there's uh, nothing crazy with the election. I hope this is the last time we ever have to talk about politics. I <laughs> guarantee you it's not. We will open next week's episode with all the things that have happened between now and one week from now. Yep, yep. And it might be its own episode all by itself. Oh, my. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, until next week, have a wonderful week. Stay safe. Uh, definitely wear masks and social distance as much as you can. Things are terrible out there. Uh, but, but, but take care of each other. Light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccines yeah. on the verge. All Look, that's yeah. what's most frustrating about this rise in cases right now. If I can editorialize for just one more minute. We're almost there, everybody. <laughs> this is yeah. literally just hunker down for a little bit, play by the rules, and by summertime we'll be watching baseball again. Like, yeah. just hang. By in almost there. then, you. But yeah, by almost there we mean summertime when they when the vaccine is readily available to everybody. But it'll still be. We we know that this will end. If we're watching ball games by summer, for sure I'm sitting in a hockey arena next uh, next. Fall. I just want the Olympics. As long as there's the Olympics, then I feel like we won. Oh. We're so close. Put your mask on. We can do it together. That's right. Yeah, hunker down for the inside season, and uh, we should be okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, until next time, I've been Tyler. I've been Jay. And this has been Roughing the Passer. Bye, y'all. Have a great week, everybody. See you later.